You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. This episode is brought to you by teen counseling. You know, our boys have so much that they're dealing with these days, and you might be worried about your son's mental health. You don't have to worry alone. There is help. If you think your teen might benefit from professional support, go to teencounseling.com slash teenboys and connect your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor. And all counseling sessions are video conference or phone. Your teen can text too. And the best part is that with teen counseling, you have access to expertise that might not be available locally. You can choose a gay therapist, for instance, or a person of color. So don't delay. If you are at all worried about your teen, go to teencounseling.com slash teenboys and you will get 10% off your first month. Sign up there at teencounseling.com slash teenboys. Now on to this very, very important episode. Trigger warning before we begin today's episode, we will be discussing, among other things, the topics of sexual harassment and sexual abuse of boys and men. Child abuse occurs at every socioeconomic level, across ethnic and cultural lines, within all religions, and at all levels of education. But 95% of abuse is preventable through education and awareness. Unfortunately, we don't talk much about the experiences of boys and men, and we must, not only because we all want to keep our sons safe, but because we also need to understand the long-term effects that these experiences can have on boys and men that play out in their adulthood, including drug and alcohol abuse, mental health issues, and difficulty in personal and work relationships. Consider these statistics. One in three girls and one in five boys will experience sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. 
and more than one quarter of male victims of a completed rape experienced their first rape when they were 10 years of age or younger. 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime. These statistics are gut-wrenching to hear, and yet hear them, we must. Fortunately, our guest today is here to help shed light on this important topic. Dr. Larry Cohen is a dad, a grandpa, a psychologist, and author. His treatment innovations have included the first groups in the country for husbands and boyfriends of sexual abuse survivors, as well as one of the first therapy groups for male survivors of sexual abuse. Whether in his writing or in his work with children, parents, couples, abuse survivors, and families, his focus has always been on the importance of human connection. Welcome, Larry. We're so glad to connect with you today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yes, and, and we were discovering that we are both in the same city, both yeah. in Portland today. Um, so you've done a lot of work in this area of sexual abuse recovery. And I'm curious, tell us how you started these first two support groups mm -hmm. in the U.S. on this very important topic. Well, I was studying psychology and getting my doctorate at Duke, and I was studying um, long-term recovery from rape and incest. And at that time, in the 80s, if you were studying rape and incest, you were studying girls and women. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It was happening to boys and men, but it was invisible. It was a, it was kind of a secret hidden in plain view. You know, when, when I remember when I was a kid, it was just joked about, talked about. It was there. It was, there's no surprise really, but everyone acted surprised. So I was working in this area and doing research and, and doing therapy with women who were recovering from uh, sexual abuse of, of many different types. And I wanted to work with men. There weren't male survivor groups. There weren't men coming out. There weren't men on Oprah, you know, talking about being sexually abused. So um, I started a group for husbands and boyfriends because I wanted to work with men. And I, there were a lot of men being affected by the rape and incest that was that impacted their wives and girlfriends. And sort of several things all happened at the same time. So I was working with these men and some of them started talking about the experiences that they had that were <laughs> triggered by mm. trying their hardest to be supportive of the women in their lives. That hidden in plain view secret was coming out um, and was being exposed and being talked about. And this is the history of sexual abuse in this country and in Western civilization is it goes into hiding and it comes out and it's discovered like it's a new thing talked about a lot and then it goes back under the covers again mm -hmm. so this was a period in the you know late 80s 90s when it was out and as all of a sudden it was really being talked about and so i started doing therapy groups and support groups for for men who had been sexually abused as boys one of the interesting things to me as a mother of boys, as a friend to men, is that so often men and boys, from what I've seen, are less likely to 
recognize or call something sexual abuse or sexual harassment because of these messages they get. You know, there's that whole messaging that males are not vulnerable in any way, shape or form. And males should always want sex. Exactly. And talk about how that plays into males' vulnerability actually to sexual assault and their response. Yeah, I think that the the lack of awareness and education and understanding leaves boys very vulnerable. Um, this, like you said, this double message that as a boy, as a man, you're supposed to want sex anywhere, anytime with anybody, and that relationships aren't actually important, mm. and that you don't talk about your feelings and you don't have feelings, and you don't get cuddled and loved and nurtured in the same way. And so boys walk around hungry for that kind of uh, nurturing and touch and gentleness. And unfortunately, there are people who will exploit that and take advantage of that. Do you think that it's, you started this work in the 80s. Do you think that we're, it sounded like it cycles a little bit. Do you think we're moving towards more openness around this topic? I'm not sure that I'm seeing that. Mm -hmm. I think that Me Too has really brought a, a, a different kind of sexual assault, sexual harassment out into the forefront. I think that's good to have these things brought out. And and there's some recognition that it's not only women who are sexually harassed in the workplace or um, sexually exploited. But I think that the the dominant view is that the men are the perpetrators and, and women mm-hmm. are the victims. And certainly there are statistics that back that up in a lot of realms of society. But in terms of what's happening to children and the abuse of children, I think it's kind of back, swept under the rug again. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, it's interesting. Uh, Certainly, everybody has heard now about sexual abuse in the Boy Scouts. Everybody has heard about sexual abuse of boys in the Catholic Church. So there are some really high-profile cases that we talk about, but it's almost like that's all separate from our everyday lives and our realities. Like we keep it over here and that's a terrible thing happening over there to other people and probably not happening happening in my community. Right, right, exactly. So how do we as parents keep our boys safe? Keep them safe, but also how do we help them recognize this this dynamic that may be there and, and open up dialogue to talk about it. I think we have to start way back. If, if we're just starting at, these are the situations and this is the, the, the thing to look out for, we're way too late. I think we start with young boys um, being able to have all of their emotions, being able to cry Mm being able to curl up in somebody's arms and be scared. The, the setup is you can't do that and then you can't tell the things that are happening to you that are confusing. You can't ask questions. And so we really have to go to the very root. 
And then we also need to start on consent education with boys and girls from very, very young. Mm -hmm. And we need to give children more control over their own bodies. I know people get bent out of shape when it sounds like you're saying, oh, grandparents shouldn't kiss their grandchildren, right? But that's not the point. The point is nobody should be grabbed and kissed who doesn't want to be. Exactly. And it doesn't mean don't kiss your grandchild. It means ask first, right? It's very, and, and it's easy to take that too far and to say, oh, they're saying I can't kiss my grand, granddaughter, grandson. Um, no, you, you do it only if they want to. And I think we're training this generation, my parents' generation of, yeah, you got to ask. It's not like it used to be when you were young. Yeah. And, and that is filtering down. I think that, you know, our generation now has that awareness and we, we do yeah. calibrate a little bit more to the situation. So yeah. I, and, and we've talked about that a lot. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty common knowledge now of asking for permission for a hug and, yeah. and hopefully that's getting into our habit body as a society that, that that piece okay. is more prevalent. Yeah. And that we recognize that things feel good. And when, you know, I think that the, this idea that, we pretend that it's bad and terrible. And then when it feels good, it's so confusing. Yes. We need a much more realistic education. It's like, it's like drug education, which is like, oh, crazy, horrible, evil people will be doing this thing that kills them. It's like, if that's the message, then it's like, well, they look like they're having fun. So that message just doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. And so... We don't want to talk to children about sexual pleasure because mm-hmm. it just seems creepy to talk to them about that. And yet, if we don't, then it's confusing um, right. to think, well, sure, that feels good. I think about, you know, when I was a teenager and I was sitting in a park and this man came up to me and said, hey, do you want to come see some X-rated movies? I was like, yeah, I would like to go see some. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a teenager. But Come on. Not with you. I mean, this was before the internet. This is before you can get an X-rated movie anywhere you want, any minute. I was a I was very I'm very glad that I had that self-awareness that I could separate the yeah, that's interesting to me, and I don't trust you, and that's not how I want to do that. Right, right. So I think one thing we need to teach our children is the difference between what feels good and what feels right. Mm. And I think this is so much more powerful than the stranger danger lectures. First of all, it's usually not a stranger, so the stranger danger doesn't work. But second of all, it, it acknowledges that there is something that feels good. Like if, you know, if somebody in the park says, hey, oh, do you want a puppy and candy? And it's like, well, sure I do. Yeah, but not from you. But not from you, but it doesn't feel right. And and I kind of, I always point to my gut when I talk about this, because it's like, I think if we can, if we can help children get this early, they have an inner sense, a gut sense of what doesn't feel right, but it might feel good, but it doesn't feel right. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the consent you know, part, and we have to teach both sides of the consent part. You have a right to your body, mm-hmm. and so does everybody else. And so, yeah, you could grab that from them. You could force something on somebody, and it might feel good in some way, but it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And parents get confused about that. We tell them that doesn't, that's not right, that's, that's wrong, it doesn't feel good, but, it's, but we have to acknowledge that sure it feels good. Larry, this is, I think this is really helpful. Does it feel good? Does it feel right? That's, it's a good distinction. When it comes to sexual abuse, how do we help our kids and our boys especially understand that sometimes the physical body reacts and that doesn't necessarily mean that you were complicit in this activity. I, you know, I hear about boys who don't acknowledge that it was rape or assault because they got an erection and it felt good sort of, and sort of not. I think that uh, most people have had the experience of being held and tickled against their will and Mm -hmm. you laugh and then it gives a very confusing message to the other person, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't know better and stop. And I think that this is the analogy that I, that I use to help men and boys understand that the body reacts on its own accord and that we've come to learn that that means something, but it, sometimes it's just this uh, physical reflex. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not just the physical part also because you know, there's two main classes of sexual abuse and one is violent and the other is seductive. Boys who are groomed, sometimes for years, there is a big, big emotional need that's being filled. Yeah. And then they're, they're linking sexuality with emotional closeness, which is what we're supposed to do. And yet it's so disturbing to realize later that you were being exploited and used and it's, you know, it really leaves, really leaves boys and men confused yeah and they're and shamed feeling Mm -hmm. ashamed embarrassed all of those things why didn't I know and destroyed trust you feel like you you know you thought you could trust this person you thought relationships were good but maybe not right and nobody likes to be told well you weren't capable of making a decision at that time this adds another layer of confusion we like to think that no matter how old we are we like to think, yeah, I knew what I was doing. And it, you feel small. If some, it, it's Somebody's trying to help by saying, well, you couldn't make that decision. You're not capable of consent. And I, there's truth in that, right? Children can't enter a contract and they can't take out a loan and, you know. Yeah. Right. So how do, how do you work with, I, I'm imagining, so, you know, you're working with somebody who's maybe in their early 20s and maybe this happened when they were 10 and they're grappling with their part in it. And yeah. as you say, you know, it's it's hard to just hear, well, you you didn't have the capacity to say no at that point. But still, I think there's a place in us that is like, no, I should have known. Or, and why didn't the other adults around me protect me? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is validation. I think that, you know, I I learned the hard way that telling people what they should think doesn't work. Telling people, oh, no, don't think that. Oh, that's not right. 
we have to validate, 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 and trust that people will will find an inner truth within themselves and that it's the supportive environment. It's the, I don't judge you. I can understand why I would feel that way. Boy, that sounds confusing. I think anybody would be confused in that situation. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code on boys at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys. And to ask questions that build that inner support. How did you get through it? What helped you? What sustained Mm. you? People say, nobody knew, nobody listened. It's like, well, then how did you make it? And Mm. when when I learned to ask that question, I, I heard the most amazing things. Sometimes it's religious and spiritual. Sometimes it's very grounded in, you know, the mundane reality you know and sometimes it's just like I I just had to be strong for my little brother or there's all kinds of things that people use to sustain themselves but then later when they're working on it they forget that they had that inner strength because they just think about it as the terrible thing that happened 
I find myself uh, thinking about a 15 year old boy, random number, you know, who, like you said, doesn't want to be told, well, you know, you weren't really in a position to consent. You didn't know what you were doing. A 15 year old boy who perhaps had an inappropriate, sexually abusive, we can see now, relationship with a high school teacher. But at the time, that 15-year-old was like, yeah, I knew what the hell I was doing. I wanted that just as bad as she did. How do you respond to that as, you know, if this comes to light, this this is reality for some families. This is what you're faced to deal with. So how can you help that child without causing further harm? I think it's you you listen 99% more than you talk mm. and you validate and you say boy it must be confusing that everybody is treating this as a crime when it felt to you like a relationship and let's explore what was relationship about it and what was off about it words like i wonder and let's explore and i'm curious uh, this this is usually missing. Usually people are jumping in, either dismissing it or jumping in to judge it and tell people what they should feel. Mm-hmm. And boys need more room than that. They need to, they need time. They need to explore it. I love that. What, what was it like? What was it actually like? Yeah. What do, what does a mom do that has some, just, you know, that gut feeling that something's not quite right. And, you know, you don't want to embarrass the family and you don't know if you should say something. And I think that's where, you know, we just, we doubt ourselves, don't trust our intuition. What would you say to those parents who are maybe in that kind of gray zone of oh this doesn't feel quite right but on the other hand it's like you can see both sides and you can make it okay yeah or not because that as you said you know pointing to your gut of like mm, yeah doesn't feel right here yeah so uh, there's something i i think about a lot which um i call it parts language this is parts of the self and what i would say to a mom struggling with that is it sounds like a part of you is like call the cavalry and get 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 the hell out of here and maze up make a fuss and and even if it's a one percent chance we're not going to take that chance and there's another part of you that's maybe I'm overreacting very susceptible to this from my own childhood or from things I read in the news and I should just relax and just trust. And this is a really hard position to have these parts fighting inside your head. And usually the loudest one wins or one day one wins and one day the other one wins. It's really exhausting and confusing. So what I like to do is to say, let's name the parts. Let's get them talking to each other. Let's think about a a chair of the board of directors who Hmm. gets to listen to everyone and then maybe there's some hidden parts. We know these two parts, but there maybe there's another part, which sometimes is like the little girl feeling helpless in the corner, unable to speak because she's really got these memories that are unapproachable and unbearable. 
who knows, maybe that makes her super sensitive and, and can smell it out and seize it, or maybe that makes her see it when it's not there. And it, so it doesn't answer the question of what's happening, mm-hmm. um, but it still, but it needs to be brought into the open. And mm-hmm. when I think about these different parts, the, my slogan is everyone has their say, but not necessarily their way. Nice, yeah. And it, and we do this with our parts, and then that helps us be able to talk to boys about their parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is back to the earlier thing of, oh, part of you liked it, part of you thought it was off. The fact that it had to be secret felt exciting, but also felt weird. Part yeah. of you had to live with a secret, afraid that people would find out. Part of you wish somebody knew. Boy, that's a lot of parts in there. Mm-hmm. And I want to just encourage our listeners, like this whole parts conversation that you're talking about, this is really hard to do by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. need to reach out and find a mental health professional that can guide you through this. Because as you said, you know, there might be that little girl over there in the corner. And what do we do with her experiences? And and it is just really pretty close to impossible to do this as a self-study. Absolutely. But I just want a little word of warning to not expect that the health professional is going to be able to hear your story and to say, oh, yes, this child is being abused. You have to get out of there and call the police or, oh, no, nothing's happening. I think you're reacting to something Mm -hmm. inside of you. Nobody's going to be able to make that determination for you, but it still is good to tell the story to somebody and to think it through out loud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You remember when um, the Penn State case hit the news, Jerry uh, Sandusky, a few years ago. Yeah. One of the details of that case that so stood out to me was the the way it all kind of came to light the mom of a boy noticed he came home with wet hair Mm. and he didn't usually come home with wet hair from practice. That was a change. That was different. It was kind of that questioning that led to finding out that something had happened. And to me, it really underscores the need to be in tune with our children to, you know, we all have a baseline. This is kind of normal for my kid. Mm -hmm. And my kid's normal is different from your kid's normal. And when something is different, mm, pay attention to that. Be be willing to uh, investigate that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I think tuning in is is the key parenting skill. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I am so intrigued by the writing, the books that you've written and the topics, the the theme Mm -hmm. of the topics that I'm seeing. You've written (laughs) The Art of Roughhousing and Playful Parenting. And I just love this direction that you go of the human Mm -hmm. connection in a playful way. And I came, actually, we found you because of an article about the art of roughhousing and okay. why it is so important to roughhouse. And I really want to make sure we get that into the conversation sure. as well. Well, let me show you, tell you what I think the link is to the earlier conversation, which is that uh, I believe a roughhousing is great for boys and girls, but for boys, the message that comes in very early is that there are two kinds of physical touch. There's sex and there's aggression. And 
boys need a much wider range of healthy physical touch. We know they don't get cuddled as much or for as long as girls do, uh, which leads them to be desperate for physical touch. We know that they sometimes get confused about roughhousing and fighting. Um, and so playful wrestling, playful pillow fighting, catch and chase, and you'll never get away from me. That's one of my favorite <laughs> games. You'll never, ever get away from me. Never, never, never. <laughs> um, these give boys uh, a, a world of, of touch that's healthy, that's not sexual, and that's not violent. Um, and they really need this. The conversation with Dr. Larry Cohen continues in part two of On Boys, and we hope you will tune into that. The easiest way to make sure that you don't miss it is to subscribe at onboyspodcast.com. That way it will come right directly to your inbox every week. And I want to remind you also that our sponsor for this episode is teencounseling.com. If you feel that your teen might benefit from professional support, go to teencounseling.com slash teenboys and they will match you with a licensed professional counselor. On Boys listeners can get 10% off their first month. Just sign up at teencounseling.com slash teenboys. And that's it for part one of Dr. Larry Cohen. I hope you will join us for part two, where we continue to talk about the art of roughhousing. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.